I'm Katherine Lawson, and this is The Long Way Pod, where I talk to people who are adding value to communities across North Carolina. This episode, I'm talking with Lindsay Michelle, founder of Taproot Retreats, a new company that blends yoga and meditation with hiking in our state parks and nature preserves. Lindsay's journey has taken her biking across the country, through wilderness trainings and a graduate degree, and healthcare work in think tanks and at Icubia, a healthcare company formed by Legacy Quintiles and IMS Health. I think you'll enjoy hearing about her faith in North Carolina's future and her wholehearted embrace of nature's role in the human experience. Enjoy the show. So Lindsay, thank you so much for talking with me today. I would love to hear all about the great work that you're doing with your new business, Taproot Retreats. Super excited about that. But before we kind of get into what you're doing right now, I would love to hear more about some of your background and how you got into this, kind of this health and wellness space. So I believe you have a background in healthcare policy. Yeah. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill moons ago. I graduated in 2007 with a degree in journalism and mass communications. I did some health-focused projects while I was there, but the only thing that I knew when I was leaving, when I was graduating college, was that I my heart wasn't in the print news world, and I needed to expand elsewhere to find my my place, my my profession elsewhere. I ended up taking the summer off after school to cycle across the country with an organization called Bike and Build. And they're still around. I was on one of their first trips in 2005 and then a leader in 2007. And it's young adult-led affordable housing fundraising trips. So truly on wow. two wheels, biking across the country, <laughs> um, staying at community centers, churches, um, we even stayed in a funeral home uh, in Nags Head. That's where we started <laughs> and ended in San Diego at a church, I think, out there is where we ended. But um, I, took a, I took a summer to adventure. And one of the things that mm. I loved about that organization was that uh, not only did I get outside to see this amazing, beautiful country of ours um, from the environment, from the landscape, um, but it also really restored my faith in others and humanity. I mean, we were a group of ragtag, like 18 to 26 year olds, um, and, and people were opening their homes up. You know, we were a very diverse group of students. And in the middle of the country, I think oftentimes there are stereotypes, you know, people um, kind of closed off in these small communities, maybe not really willing, um, the stereotype not really willing to open their doors to people who aren't like them. Um, and my experience was very different. People were uh, getting up at 5 a.m. to serve us egg casserole before we hit the road. Um, <laughs> and when I came back, I ended up moving to Washington, D.C. because my two best friends were there and they um, just lured me uh, because they said, you know, they love the culture. A lot of young people are there. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of entry level jobs. So I took the leap into a city. Um, I never lived in a city before. And through a series of random conversations and people I met, I ended up in the global health world. Um, I worked in for organizations uh, that develop drug vaccines and diagnostics for um, developing world populations, essentially populations that don't have the power of the purse or the coin. They're, they're not um, drugs that, that I think a for-profit company would identify as potential blockbusters. And so organizations hmm. like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, even uh, USAID, um, DFID in the UK, come together to support um, the development of these drugs. So really, like my humanitarian self was really fueled in this. And um, in my time in DC, I ended up getting my master's in public health. 
at GW, George Washington, um, and focused in health policy. I, well, it was an experience that made me realize I didn't want to continue trudging through the, the, um, on the road of policy. Um, mm. I know people who really feel their calling there, um, but I felt more removed from what I really wanted to do, which was to kind of impact the individual. Um, and public health is amazing, and I still feel that I use a lot of my knowledge, but um, you're looking at this sort of um, it's a 30,000 foot view of population health. Um, and I was really, uh, really interested in, in what I enjoyed so much from that bicycle trip, you know, getting to know people and, um, you know, feeling the, the magic that happens when people come together to support each other. So I did do policy and my MPH has served me well. I ended up moving back to the Triangle after about seven years in D.C. Um, and worked at Quintiles, which is now IQVIA. Um, working in communications mm -hmm. um, there and really enjoyed it. But um, in, I guess, uh, 2015, 2016, um, I was making a lot of big changes in my life. And uh, a lot of those changes led me to yoga teacher training. And so that kind of opened up this whole new phase of my life. Um, the MPH almost sort of like leading me on this path to ultimately um, a new way of uh, what I feel is, um, you know, supporting population health and individual health. That is such a fascinating journey. And I want to hear a little bit more about some of the different pieces of it. So sure. deciding as you graduated college, so, you know, bike across the country, I mean, that's an incredible experience, but that would be really intimidating, I think, for a lot of people. Mm. Did you, like, what was your experience and your connection to kind of that, the physicality of being outdoors and connecting with mm -hmm. people in that space before you decided to embark on that journey? I mean, did you have kind of that basis beforehand or was it a new experience for you? Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself an adrenaline junkie, but I would call myself an adventure <laughs> junkie. I tend to take these like big, massive leaps into the great wild. Um, and I really think it's sort of a product of maybe my DNA. I don't know. I come from a long line of frontiersmen and pioneers. Um, my great grandmother was born in a sod house in Nebraska. My parents grew up, um, uh, outside of Denver in Colorado. So, um, Colorado has been always a special place to me. Mm. And, um, you know, these were folks, trappers, frontiersmen, miners, um, who came before me, who really made their own way of life. And, um, and, and it was a life very close to mother earth, to nature. Um, so mm -hmm. my parents did a lot to instill in, in me and my sister, this love of connecting to the outdoors when I was young. And in, when I was um, 15, right after my, my freshman year of high school, um, which I had spent at Northern Durham High School um, here in Durham, I went out to Asheville and joined a handful of other young people on an outward bound trip. And that was my first big backpacking mm. trip. We hiked up Table Rock. Um, we spent time navigating through the Linville Gorge area with our maps and compasses. We, um, we did some climbing. Uh, it was two weeks, no shower, mm. and it was a big, um, <laughs> it, it made a big impact on me. I loved it so much. So I was hooked. Like, I wanted to find more opportunities to get out. I ended up transferring to Durham Academy. That's another story. And finished my 10th, 11th, and 12th grades there. And one thing that they do that I love is they incorporate outdoor education um, hmm. into the beginning of each year. And so um, there's rock climbing, there's kayaking, and, and there's the senior challenge at the end of, of high school. 
and you go out with your classmates in these small groups for um, four days, maybe three days, something like that. Um, and again, it just like this experience really touched my heart. So in college, uh, after my freshman year, I flew up to the Yukon Territory and spent 30 days in the Yukon Territory with National Outdoor Leadership School and, you know, continued to, to just prioritize getting outside. I had never, the following year, my sophomore year, summer, was my first trip with Bike and Build. Um, and I would be, you know, it wouldn't be the whole story if I didn't say a lot of the impetus for signing up for something so needy and um, <laughs> difficult was just going through a lot of my personal challenges. My parents at mm. that point had split up. And, um, you know, as a, as a 20 year old at that point, um, you know, coming to terms with um, your parents as real people and yeah. not these sort of like perfect, uh, you know, statues um, or, you know, what have you, these, these, these images of perfection. Um, and getting to know my family in a new way and a new kind of um, new kind of fabric and framework, um, I felt like I needed to get away. And there was definitely a sense of flightiness uh, that I followed um, that mm. led me to the program. And so I did it and it was really hard. And there were a lot of tears and um, I hit rock bottom numerous times. I remember crying one day. I was so dehydrated. I couldn't even produce tears. Oh, and the gosh. next day I had the best bike ride ever. And I thought I can do anything. I think what kept um, calling me back to these great big adventures was a deeper desire to get to know myself, um, to know my resiliency, to get to understand what motivates me at a deeper level. And for me, a lot of that comes through physical efforts. Hmm. I have a very active mind. I mean, I love learning and engaging and there is a deeper knowledge. I think that rests in the lower parts of our, our bodies, you mm -hmm. know, the heart, the, the belly brain, um, you know, listen to your gut or follow your heart. These are, um, these are phrases that have been around in our cultures for so long. And sometimes for me, you know, pushing through physical effort is what it was taking to actually quiet my mind and listen to those deeper places of, of innate wisdom and knowledge. Um, and I think that was a big driving force, um, especially in those early years and those big massive trips that I took was to get to know me. Mm -hmm. I was, my stepdad says it best. Uh, he's a social worker and he says the most scary, the scariest, most confusing person I've ever met was myself. <laughs> And I have to keep getting to know him all the time. And that inward aspect of, of, of the journey, um, you know, I was really just starting to dip my toe in, in what has become like a commitment to um, living more intentionally and with more mindfulness. Mm -hmm. No, that makes, that makes so much sense. I mean, I think that our culture and frankly, I mean, our science and our data is backing this up just as we develop a greater understanding of kind of the mind, body, heart connection. And realize that we're not, you know, we're neither aesthetics who exist solely, you know, in this kind of mental space. We're more than just bodies, but having a physical outlet for emotions and processing is actually one of the best ways that people can not just learn about themselves, but process what's going on around them. So that makes a lot of sense that you would turn to that kind of experience, especially with such a huge background. Gosh, all those experiences sound awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For that kind of processing. I'm so thankful for them, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So how do, how do you think kind of that experience of 
pushing your, your physical resiliency helped you in kind of making the decision to move to DC into a new city and a mm-hmm. new kind of whole world <laughs> when you, after you came back from that trip? It was like this mixture of new adventure with like a really great safety net of the best friends a girl could ask for. Like I knew I would have mm. this, this friend, family, family, whatever network there. <laughs> and I felt confident I could, I could find a job. And I just mm-hmm. thought, you know, I'm going to go here and figure it out. And I grew up actually in, before moving to Durham, when I was in ninth grade, I grew up in small towns in Nebraska and Iowa, Michigan, um, Midwestern towns. And, um, and so I, you know, Durham was the biggest city, the biggest place I'd ever lived. Um, and so moving to DC was this other big step. Um, I studied abroad in France in college and I loved how on one hand, while DC is very America, you know, it's the seat of our Mm -hmm. federal government and there's rich history there and policy history is made there. It's also incredibly diverse and so much influence from other countries present in the restaurants, in the subway, in the taxis, in the, in the very melting pot of like the district's culture. And I was really, that's what drew me, honestly, was this, you know, desire to continue to step out of my comfort zone on a cultural level. And it definitely delivered. You know, I met people from all over the world and, um, and people who were really passionate about what they do. And that was really energizing. It also is, at least in my perception, a city that burns hot and fast. And for me, <laughs> that I, I guess I, I ultimately tired of it. Um, it kind mm-hmm. of burned me out. And um, during that time, I was reading New York Times articles. And they, there was some writer who was coming down to Durham pretty regularly, coming down to the Triangle pretty regularly, a food mm-hmm. critic. And I was reading about these these restaurants in my hometown and I'm like man they're having fun in Durham without me and um, (laughs) so ultimately the call back to a quieter city a slower pace um a less political city uh Mm -hmm. I think the politics sort of for me got a little old and and I got a little tired of of that culture um and how present it is there um Mm -hmm. you know I was ready to I was ready to come back to the triangle no that makes sense I I actually went to school uh, at American University. Oh no! Way. And, cool. Yeah, and so I, but I saw that that exact same pattern. I mean, there's some people who thrive in the culture of DC, and there's some people where you're just like, you know what? Everybody keeps their home driver's license. Yeah. And they plan on staying for you know an administration change, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then they go home. And I think that there's there's a tension in living in DC between you know the excitement and the the knowledge that you're in a seat of power, basically. Mm-hmm. And wanting to be home and <laughs> be comfortable. Yeah. So, yeah, I very much empathize with that. So when you came back here for Quintiles, um, mm-hmm. you came back and you jumped into into marketing, right? Yeah. So I was actually first in a corporate communications job. So okay. um, it's similar, but a little bit different. I did employee yeah. communications and also media relations work with them. So really help supporting executives at the highest levels communicate out to their Mm. thousands and sometimes thousands of employees um, around the globe and then to share some of the really amazing healthcare research that the company supports um, 
you know, mm-hmm. by sharing our thought leadership externally uh, through media and through um, a really great blog that we had at the time. How did that kind of transition from, you know, this sort of more, you know, public policy oriented education mm-hmm. period of time, like transit, how did that transition look for you? <laughs> yeah. So I honestly, I, I, I missed the big picture aspect of, of policy, which is funny because I think ultimately I've been going more towards the, the local level, but I, I think that first transition was hard. It felt like, geez, we're talking hmm. about impacting like massive amounts of people. We're talking, I was in a global health function for quite a while and we're talking about large figures of money going out to help many, you know, many thousands or millions of lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm moving more into a a corporate communications job where we're focused on a much smaller internal populations. And we're talking about like maybe, you know, specific drugs. And ultimately, many of these pharmaceutical companies, including Quintiles, we're in a capitalist society. I mean, these are publicly traded companies. I have grown to better understand and better appreciate what that means. But I came from the nonprofit world into the corporate world. And so that was a big change too. And I think there was this, um, the humanitarian in me took issue for some time with, not with the company, but with my choice to step away from the nonprofit sphere. But if there's something that I did learn, even in DC working in nonprofits, it's that nonprofits should operate like businesses in the sense that you need to manage your money, you need to, you need to plan, you need to strategize. Um, and so I really learned a lot from a business standpoint, moving into that corporate mm. environment. And um, I ended up just loving the culture and really enjoying the people I worked with and worked for. And I loved the fact that as I got to know Quintiles better, I saw a company that really values women leaders and mm. a company that has had its hands on so many drugs that have extended, prolonged, improved, and saved lives. And, you know, we're in a beautiful place of the internet age in a very connected world. And, you know, as I, as I think about my own health and, um, and as other things such as yoga and meditation play a role in my, in my wellness, you know, I think there's a great, we're just in a great place where we can kind of marry and pull together like these bespoke personalized approaches for ourselves that combine Western medicine and maybe Eastern philosophies or mindfulness practices. And it was really cool to be a part of a company that has done so much to advance healthcare, science, biomedical research, uh, and public health. That's awesome. So in the midst of, you know, so you move move back to move back to the triangle, you're working at quintiles, you're learning all these amazing things on kind of, again, Western medicine front. What prompted you to go after your yoga teacher certification? Yeah, we, I guess it was in 2016, we, Quintiles and IMS Health announced a merger. And IMS Health was this largest data, healthcare data company. They have um, rights and ownership over a lot of electronic health records, medical health records. And so it was a really interesting time to be at the company. It was a two big companies coming Mm. together, creating an entirely new type of healthcare company that brings healthcare research, real world and late phase research in with this massive amount of data that we're collecting about ourselves, our bodies, our lives, our health. And so it was a big, it was a big shakeup. 
as any merger is. And uh, so I'm leaving the shakeup at work and there's a lot of things shaking up in, in my personal life, ending a, a relationship and moving into a new place on my own and kind of taking a step back of everything that I felt really, that I previously previously felt very certain about and starting to take care of myself again. I was having a lot of pretty bad migraines, migraines that actually kept me away from work at times. And um, mm. I was working out a lot. I would go to the gym, I would do yoga, um, and I was trying to take care of myself mentally. I um, have a therapist who I love and I was seeing her regularly. And I had gone out to Asheville where my dad and my stepmom live and I had spent the weekend dog sitting for them. This will get a little fringe, but it's just, it's just, it was just amazing. I was looking for a place to get a massage while I was out there. And there's this little amazing spa near downtown Asheville, walkable from my dad's house called the Still Point Wellness Center. And they have this saltwater flotation tank. And they used to be called mm. sensory deprivation tanks. If people are um, aware of Stranger Things, which is written by two guys <laughs> who went to high school here in Durham, actually. The, the character Eleven is placed in these tanks to tap into these deeper places of sensing and knowing these deeper places in her, in her consciousness, in her brain. And there was a lot of bad rap around these saltwater flotation tanks because they were kind of associated with um, research into mind-expanding drugs and hallucinogenics back in the 60s. But there's been also some research about, you know, hallucinogenics aside, <laughs> how depriving ourselves of all the stimuli we're constantly mm. exposed to helps us calm down, to reach a state in our brains, this place of deep calming. And so, I, you know, I have this stressed out job. There's a lot of change going on. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to try this weird thing. I'm going to, I've, you know, biked across the country twice. I've hiked into the woods. Like, I might as well put myself into a little black box in a <laughs> foot of water with a thousand pounds of Epsom salt. You know, my bum doesn't even touch the ground. I'm like being lifted and held by this water. I shut the door and you don't hear anything and you don't see anything. At first, I'm thinking my list of things to do, my mind is running. I'm like, where am I going to eat? It's Asheville. This is the best eating city, you know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it was like something switched. And I went into this incredible state of calm. And when I was done, I really, truly feel like it felt like this almost rebirthing moment. And I woke up with this intense calming and a deep resolve in I am exactly where I need to be and I am on the right path. And I didn't know what that meant really, but I just knew that I needed to go to that place of calm, that place of hmm. deeper consciousness more often to figure out where I was going. So I decided to listen to my body a little bit more. And one morning, um, a couple months later, I woke up with a migraine and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to call in sick today. I could take pills and, you know, muscle through it and go to work, but I'm going to take care of myself today. And I went to a midday yoga class with my favorite teacher. <laughs> and at the end of class, she said, hey, you know, there are a couple more slots left in our 200 hour teacher training. And that's kind of the first step into yoga teacher training. And I didn't even blink. I said yes. And um, I had never considered even being a yoga teacher and even stepping into training. I thought, oh, this will be a, uh, an investment in myself, in my 
self-discovery. You know, me, this person who has really put a lot of effort and time and investment of myself into traveling, into moving, into physically exerting. What I found was this beautiful practice, less about the poses or the physical postures themselves, and much more about a way of living that is more authentic, more compassionate, more harmonious and balanced. And once I pushed through the discomfort of sitting still, and similar to that experience in that flotation tank, the quieter I got, the clearer I got. And I just knew that the next step for me needed to be to leave the nine to five job. I mean, it wasn't technically nine to five. Oftentimes it was much earlier or or much later. And um, not because it wasn't a a great place with wonderful people, but because it was not serving me at that moment any longer. And I did what a lot of people advise against doing for good reason, I think, but I just did it. I, I left my job, I started teaching yoga full time. And I drew from my 401k. I spent 2017 reconnecting to my truth, and to aligning myself to what felt more authentic than frankly, uh, a life focused on trying to fit an image of perfection or the image of success. And Hmm. I got to spend three or four days a week with my my maternal grandmother who had moved um, to the Hillsboro area to live with my mom and stepdad. And we would sit on the back porch and we sat almost in one of two places, but over the course of the whole, whole year, I mean, truly seeing the bare branches moving into summer and fall, mm. winter, and just listening to nature. And... Uh, you know, and teaching yoga over at Hot Asana. And I knew I wanted to pull together yoga and meditation, these practices that had helped me transform my life and my wellness on this deeper level, physical and mental and emotional, um, with my love for the outdoors. And so I started to come up with the idea of Taproot Retreat, but I still questioned my capabilities and and maybe there was something else I just needed to go out and check off on my list. I ended up going back to Outward Bound, but Outward Bound based in the Pacific Northwest in Washington State. And I did a 50-day instructor development course with them. It combined sea kayaking out in the Puget Sound in the San Juan Islands along with Wilderness First Responder course, as well as mountaineering and backpacking through the North Cascades, with a real focus on on training to lead people into the wilderness. Hmm. And going out there, I frankly thought it was my time to move westward. My family's roots, my ancestral home is in Colorado. um, And I thought, you know, maybe I would end up out there. But right before I left, there were a lot of changes going on in the South. Uh, a lot of Confederate uh, statues were coming down. And I was sitting on top of a mountain in the Cascades on this three-day solo. They sit you up in one place and you have this bag of trail mix of gorp. And um, you have a water source, but you essentially sit in one place for three days. And I knew that I needed to come back to Durham. I knew that if I set up a yoga meditation outdoor retreat 
business in California or Colorado or Oregon, there would probably already be someone like me out there. Mm. That doesn't mean everyone couldn't benefit from more, but I felt that there is this, and I still feel that there is this place of transformation, this energy of transformation in, in America, but especially in the South. And that transformation is happening in a way that I think is going to lead towards healing, towards a place of greater harmony and love and coming together. And I think that Taproot retreats can help facilitate that from an individual standpoint. And, you know, when we heal ourselves, we heal the world. It's, it's a, a concept that comes up a lot in, I think, spirituality that, you know, my pain is your pain. And my well-being is your well-being. And the time spent on filling my well up will help me bring my best to all those who, who cross my path. And so my goal in coming mm-hmm. back to Durham was to contribute to what I feel are some really important um, steps in healing and coming together as, as a culture and as a community that's been through a lot. So in so in in founding Taproot Retreats and in doing this work within your community, kind of however you go about finding those people. So what when you take people out on these retreats, hiking and yoga and being outside in nature, what are you really hoping they're going to get out of that experience? Mm. I hope they feel connected. There is this great book, a quick aside, by Sebastian Younger called Tribe. And Sebastian Younger is uh, a war reporter. And it's a tiny book. It's a short book. He talks about the challenges that current war veterans have in integrating themselves back into society. And I read this book and I thought, but that's me. Like, I'm, you know, I did not go to war, but but I, I feel that our sense of connection in so many mm. levels of the word is is tragically lost and um mm-hmm. and i hope people find connection i hope people find connection to their breath i hope they are so present that they feel their footsteps on the ground and they feel connected to the earth i hope people feel connected to the other folks who are on the retreat even if it's a couple kind words and pleasantries that they exchange, I hope they feel connected in this effort, in this step towards greater well-being. And I hope they feel connected to a deeper sense of themselves. Whether that's just tran- tran- whether that translates into just feeling a little bit lighter, you know, like a, a weight was lifted off your shoulders a spark of inspiration, of creativity, a little bit more confidence in the little voice in their heart or their gut, stepping away from, you know, the din of social media and news and others' opinions or influences. I hope they feel more connected to themselves. In the midst of leading these retreats, do you still find that connection even if it's now, even though it's now kind of your, you know, it, it is your new nine to five. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still, I full disclosure, I do work at IQVA again, but just on a contract. So I went down to 25 hours and I have a very amazing uh, setup. My boss is amazing and, and really supports um, my odd schedule. Um, 
But so far right now, you know, we're shaping an economy, hopefully that will really support yoga teachers and other um, folks doing uh, healing arts um, as a service. Uh, but right now the bills are still being paid by, um, by the corporate world. Um, <laughs> I, so I'm still really new. And so there's a lot of, I think it's interesting your question because I still, I have to really ground myself and center myself before I go out because I want to make this really amazing experience happen. And then I have to rem remind myself that it's actually not about me. It's about everyone else connecting to themselves. And so it's about me facilitating the experience about, you know, picking the trail so no one else has to think about it, you know, and setting a, a sequence of yoga poses and guiding a meditation. But it's also about me stepping out of the way and giving people the space that they need. So I definitely feel more connected to this place. In all honesty, I would think about wanting to get outdoors when I was behind my desk, you know, and in my traditional, mm -hmm. pre previous, more traditional nine to five, I would think I got to get outside and I would picture Asheville or I would picture the Rocky Mountains or I would picture um, the ocean. I would not picture mm. the Piedmont. And now that I'm taking other people out into nature I'm spending so much more time in our parks, in places I used to drive mm. by and never really notice or experience. We have five state parks in the Triangle, and the Triangle Land Conservancy operates numerous nature preserves. Um, they protect land from development and they preserve it. And these are really important spaces um, the place that I've been taking folks uh, this fall is Brumley Nature Preserve, and it's in between Chapel Hill and Hillsborough off of I-40. And it's actually a part of the watershed that ultimately leads to the water that we drink in our taps. So the, the marshlands in Brumley and the little creeks in Brumley feed into the Eno River. And the Eno River then feeds into Falls Lake, and Falls Lake is this big reservoir of water um, for many of us in the triangle. And it's really important to preserve space for not mm -hmm. only our water <laughs> to make its way to us, um, but for us to connect to this environment that still serves us. Mm. We still get our water from the sky, you know, we still get our water from nature, we still get our food from the ground. They're amazing farmers. Um, in our in our area too, who have a great appreciation for that, um, and so to connect with this land that gives us so much, you know, to get out of the grocery store, to get out of uh, the movie theater, and to go on a little hike and to do a little yoga, basic yoga. The yoga works like it's not fancy. It's multi level and it's open to all abilities and to guide people through different types of meditation is honestly this dream coming true for me. And, and so I feel more connected to myself and I feel more connected to the land, but I have to definitely ground myself and remind myself <laughs> in the beginning, it's not about you. It's about the greater picture. I, I love that. I grew up hiking and all, camping and all of that. It and I've been kicking myself in the last couple of years to do it more. And 
hearing mm -hmm. the way that you express not just your personal love for nature, but your respect for the place that it fits in the rest of our lives is really a message that I think that I definitely needed <laughs> to be mm. reminded of. And yeah, I think that there's so much to what you're saying about us grounding ourselves in our place in the world. I mean, not just the metaphysical place, but in the actual physical space that we inhabit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope that I hope that Taproot Retreats just completely takes off and keeps on growing and that we do reach kind of this place where we recognize the value of those services just as much as we do the services of a, of a place like Quintiles mm -hmm. and see that they really are complementary. So if you don't mind, who, is there somebody in particular or something or idea in particular right now that's inspiring you? Yeah, I, um, I love Instagram. It's my place of, I mean, technically, <laughs> I guess I'm a millennial. Sometimes I begrudgingly say that. Uh, I was born in 85. <laughs> um, so I'm a millennial and I love Instagram. And there is a writer, a poet, uh, a meditator, an avid meditator who writes um, and publishes under the pen name Young Pueblo. And his name is, his given name is Diego Perez. And he is such a, an inspiration in this journey to self-love, unconditional self-love. And his words are succinct and powerful. And he recently published a book called Inward. And I think actually I saw that he's going to be on a, uh, a national program um, hosted by or co-hosted by Anderson Cooper on the mindfulness movement. And I'm really excited hmm. to see him highlighted there. He's based in New York City, um, but his Instagram account, again, um, Young Pueblo, Y-U-N-G, and then Pueblo, P-U-E-B-L-O, um, is full of just beautiful words and knowledge. And I have a little, a little quote here that, um, that actually I had pulled up for myself this week um, that he wrote. It is the things you say no to that really show the commitment to your growth. Hmm. And we go through experiences of expansion and inward contraction and um and it was an important practice for me to learn to say no especially as i made a lot of big changes in my life and now that i'm sort of in this expansion mode again it's i've gotten out of the habit or out of the practice let's say of saying no but i think it's really important to say yes when it's authentically true to, for you to say yes and to say no when it's authentically true for you to say no and i love that he gives us permission to do that and so many other beautiful things in in the words that he writes um and i just cheer him on from north carolina as as hopefully he's able to get a greater platform from which to share you know his his knowledge and his uh writings Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing that with us and for spending your time talking um i have loved hearing about your heart for your community your heart for nature your heart for yourself and for your place and for what you can accomplish here. And I am really excited, one, to join you at one of the retreats at some point, and two, yeah. for the continued growth of your business. It's so exciting. Thank you. But yeah, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Oh, the pleasure was mine. Thank you, Catherine. 
That's it for this episode of the Longleaf Pod. I'm aiming to share these conversations once a week and hope you'll join in next time. If you like this podcast, please share and subscribe. And if you have thoughts about the podcast or ideas about a person you think should be interviewed, you can find me on Twitter as at Kat Lawson. Thanks for listening.